I will always hate losing to the Yankees. This is Corey, and this is the Alien the Podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Rob. Welcome to episode 267 of the Alien Anthem Podcast. And today I learned Corey is shadow banned on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Not for real. I, I just think it's the app. The app's like him. <laughs> yeah, sure. A little just scary. Yeah. Who knows what you were talking about to get shadow banned? <laughs> on all my accounts, simultaneously. <laughs> Thank you for joining us uh, for episode 267. Again, we're broadcasting to you from the hashtag OTA LA studios, high above the 110 freeway in beautiful downtown Los Angeles. And again, thank you for joining us. Yes. Thank you for listening on whatever podcatcher you listen to our podcast on, whether it's Apple or Google or uh, Spotify or Stitcher or Pocket Cast or uh, anything like that. We appreciate all the love, all the listens. And uh, if you can rate and review the podcast, that would be great. Or tell people. Yep, and of course you can always find us on Anchor now. That's our new home over on Anchor. No, not quite. Not yet. Oh, you can read. Uh, you can listen to Corey's podcast over yeah. on Anchor. Yeah, and then ours is coming over shortly. Very soon it'll as be on soon, Anchor. As soon as we're done with this whole website nonsense. Ah, uh, so. yes. Oh, I forgot to do that this week. Anyway, you can find more of the anthem at of the anthem on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you're watching right now at Facebook.com forward slash Oh the Anthem. Uh, you can find, of course, all of our video at YouTube.com forward slash Oh the Anthem, and everything Oh the Anthem related is still over at Oh the Anthem.com. Corey's listening to our uh, podcast live. Hey, welcome to that. What's up? <laughs> you know, it's funny is uh, I have this wonderful dial. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that will uh, do things for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I have it right now set to tab scroll, but then every once in a while it just decides like, I don't want to do what Corey wants me to do <laughs> anymore. Gonna I'm going to change this to the volume instead. <laughs> so there we go. Well, so we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, and as I said in the uh, description, we're going to talk a lot about Baltimore, but let's take a trip about a thousand miles south from there uh, and about a hundred years back in time <laughs> down to the great state. Uh, okay, no. Uh, the state, the state that exists. <laughs> the legally required to be called a state. One of the 50, uh, <laughs> at least until the Great War begins again, uh, Alabama. Uh, now, of course, you all probably paid attention to last week's episode, episode 266, where we talked about Georgia and how we never want to travel there again, <laughs> and how we don't really want our show favorite shows to be based in Georgia anymore. Uh, well, Alabama said, hey, uh, Georgia, you really fucked up and got the attention of the whole world. Hold my beer. <laughs> Hold my beer. We're going to double down. Uh, because uh, as we talked about last week, Georgia has a really repressive uh, abortion law that they just passed uh, on the books. Now, uh, of course, not law, passed, signed by the governor, and as most uh, laws uh, at the state level, it takes a little time to go into effect. Yeah. And uh, Alabama had time to just cut the knees right out from under the Georgia <laughs> law and say, everything you can do, we can do better. And they made a 100% abortion ban in Alabama. Well, uh, to be fair, uh, I guess to the to the way that the the people who wrote this law decided to frame it, sure, yeah, uh, it's not to be fair to, to be fair to them, yeah, uh-huh. it's not it's not an abortion ban, okay, yeah, right. it's just uh, throwing people who perform the abortions in jail. Right. So there's no punishing the mother here per se, or no like uh, uh, problem with getting the abortion, other than the fact that the doctor who does it could spend up to 99 years in jail for doing that, right? Yeah, uh, and there is so. I think last week when we were talking about Georgia, there was a lot of me trying to because uh, we like to we like to try and take like differing sides on opinions, even if we don't agree on them. Right. Sure. Yeah. So even though I don't agree with what the Georgia thing was, uh, Georgia bill was doing, I felt like I was trying to at least take it from the perspective a little bit more of somebody who might be on the right side of this issue. Yeah. Than the yeah. left. And I think that this Alabama law 
makes that nearly impossible right. for a reasonable person to do. Because <laughs> I mean, like, if you were if you were to take the Georgia law, which we all agree is pretty terrible, yeah, uh, yeah. and said, uh, well. We're just limiting it to six weeks because that's the point where it fit, you know, the heart beats. So that's the point where life begins, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. That's the point, you know, you can, you can make the, the, the arguments from a pro-lifer side of this argument. Uh, the sending abortion doctors to jail longer than somebody who commits rape. Now like, wait, now wait. Like that that seems that seems outrageously excessive. Two, and the fact that there's is no exemptions for rape or incest or uh health of the mother in this Alabama law is barbaric. Yeah. I mean like <laughs> for a couple of clarifications. First of all, I mean a 12-year-old girl who gets raped in Alabama might have to carry that child to to term because there's no abortion doctor who can perform the abortion mm-hmm. because they might go to jail for longer than the person who raped the 12-year-old girl. If they perform it. But let's be fair. After the law passes, if it was all not challenged in court and blah, blah, blah. Let's be fair. First of all, it makes providing an abortion a class A felony, which is minimum of 10 years, maximum of 99 years. Yeah. Now, that is the same penalty as you get for rape in Alabama. So to say that you do less time than the rapist isn't exactly fair. Now- the average sentence for a rapist in Alabama is 10 years and they serve five. So generally speaking, a rapist will get the minimum and they'll serve less than the minimum uh, and then get out on probation. Mm. Um, Now I do agree that the likelihood that the first and probably the first many doctors who would be charged under this law would get the minimum probably low, probably very low. Um, But it is the same class of felony as as a, a rapist. So it's not more punishment. It's the same punishment. So to be clear, a doctor who provides an abortion for a teenage girl who was raped by her uncle gets the same penalty as the uncle who raped their 12 year old niece. Yeah. So I just want to be fair yeah. in the way that we characterize this Yeah, not saying that law. guaranteed the doctor gets more time. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, all right. They're to up be fair, for the same I'll, I'll penalty. Bring it, I'll bring it back Those two people that I just described <laughs> The person performing the, the medical penalty. procedure and the person who did a horrific crime yes. are both... <laughs> Up for the same, yeah. up for the same penalty. Yeah. So, um, and, and of course, uh, the stories are coming out of Alabama about just these kind of situations, uh, incestuous relationships that led to pregnancy, um, the young girls who were raped uh, as part of a crime, not, not by a relative, but by uh, just as a victim of crime, uh, and women who said, you know, the doctor looked at me and said, listen, uh, neither of you are going to survive this. So what we would like to do is to save your life so that yeah. at some point in the future, you can give birth to more children. And um, none of those things are possible. And I almost would give an excuse if, you know, the backwards-ass GOP candidates in Alabama didn't even put forth the amendments to say, let's just uh, make an exception for rape and incest the, and I think age. The, I think the two or three Democrats in the Alabama Senate were like desperately trying to get that in. Yeah. And the all-white, all-male Alabama Republican yeah. uh, Senate decided, no, we're not going to do that. Well, they, Which, they at least got them. Poor, you know, and, and, and this is where it's poor form. Uh, Trump... Uh, came out and said, uh, 
he he's in support of he's a, a pro life supporter, but he doesn't agree with the rape and incest things that have to go in the right. Alabama law. And when Trump is being the voice of reason on your absurd law, then maybe your law is no good. <laughs> That's also, just like I there is literally video of Trump in the late nineties at pro-choice uh, events, raising yeah. money for pro-choice causes. Like, at one point, are we just going to say, the bullshit, uh, no, you're clearly not the pro-life candidate. You're not pro-life. And I will accept that being pro-choice means that it, you can have a variety of choice, but... The, uh, see, here, here uh, uh, at the end of it all is really religion. That's, yeah. that's where this pro-life, pro-choice thing is really splitting. And I feel like most people who are uh, overly religious are more likely to be pro-life and people who are monochromely to not at all religious are not going to <laughs> have the same views, yeah. you know, like it's, it's, uh, and I, I, I like the, the note that a lot of people put out there about like all these Republican senators from Alabama when their mistresses get pregnant and oh, what yeah. are they going to do? And I would like to further that for all the, all the Christian people out there who have decided that, uh, Trump, even though he's a sinner is the one who is, he's more likely to be the one to lead you into the promised land because he's known sin. Yeah, uh, know yeah. that he also probably got an abortion at some point or funded oh, an abortion at some for point. Sure. I, I for can, sure. I, I find it hard to believe that somebody like Trump who has run around so prodigiously in his life is, uh, not also the, uh, recipient of a receipt from an abortion clinic somewhere along the line. Now note this, <clears throat> the Alabama law is absent with the punishment for leaving the state and getting an abortion. Yeah. So all it really punishes is the very poor people who are stuck in Alabama and can't leave the state to get an abortion. Yeah. It doesn't punish the rich mistresses or the mistresses of these rich senators. Who can who, get on a plane and go to New York and... And get the procedure done. <laughs> have it or, all taken care of. I mean, even go into liberal Mississippi and still get <laughs> a uh, an abortion done at this point uh, at 20 weeks. So, yeah, um... Just the whole thing is ridiculous. And the most ridiculous thing that I saw um, being passed around by pro, uh, pro-life pro people this week was the, there are 23 million couples, which there's not, yeah. 23 million couples in this country who want to adopt children. And how dare you throw a child away when there are so many people who want to take children? A couple of notes here. One, uh, it's not 23 million. Uh, that would be of the 350 million people in this country, mm-hmm. of which about 180 million are adults of yeah. breeding age, let's say, which makes 90 million um, pairs. You're telling me that a third of those people are looking to adopt children. Well, yeah. geez, uh, I don't know why the orphanages have anyone in them. <laughs> like, clearly, this is not a problem. Uh, second of all, there's th- there's three men in this apartment at any given point in time. Yeah, how yeah. many? One of those three would want to adopt. I mean, does I would that, rather. Does that sound does that sound right to you? I like, would rather adopt than have my own child. <laughs> I, mean, this point, I would rather do that. I, well, that that's the quickest way to get a small army going. You get the get, you get the hundred children. Yeah, Bubba Rob, Bubba Rob. <laughs> I feel like that's been done before. Oh, noted, by the way, my other point on this is if you want to start some sort of Liebenstrom program, or Liebensborn program, Liebensborn was, of course, the Nazi program where they outlawed abortion because they believed we need to build a strong society yeah. and that every child should be brought to term. Um, and they thus forced women to take their children to term just so that they could be raised by good German parents. 
and I hesitate to say this is the example that you're using because part of me thinks you're okay with this being the example that you're using. But yes, uh, this is what we're following. This is the example we're following. Let's push women, uh, force them to have uh, these children, uh, which, by the way, at the point at which we're talking are not children. They are clumps of cells, which have no identity and are not people. Well, I think my hardest part, whenever we, we've talked about abortion, whether it's this week, last week, or any of the other episodes where it's come up as some sort of topic because it's been high in the news, yeah. is... I don't want to do this. No, I don't. I really don't want to have to talk about this uh, for the most part, because I don't feel like I have anything really substantial to add to the conversation other than my personal opinion on it. And my personal opinion on it is not the same as a woman who might have to deal with this. Yes. And that's the, like, I will never have to know how to make that choice. I would only have to know how to make that choice by proxy. Like the, the worst I could have to do is, you know, Rachel gets pregnant and then we have to figure it out. You know, yeah. like what are we going oh, to do about this? There ain't no figuring it out. No, but, I'm saying, like, that conversation. No, but I'm saying like, you're going to be a daddy. That's no, what that's going to end up with. I, I'm saying in, in that specific case, both Rachel and I probably would not get the highest likelihood is there would be no abortion happening. Right. Unless there was some sort of like, uh, Rachel might die if this happens mm-hmm. or the baby might die if this happens. Then I don't really consider now, <laughs> quite the same thing. But I mean, if, like, what I, if the side chick that you're seeing when you're out working, what if she gets pregnant? Well, I mean, you know. A, different situation. Yeah. and Different discussion. That's for her to choose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, I, I, I just don't, I, I don't have any, I, I, all I, all I've ever wanted to be in this, in this whole conversation is a, uh, how, how should we put it? Like a friend of the issue, mm-hmm. you know, like I just want to, there's something that I can personally do to help. I would do it. You know, like if I could, uh, if, if showing up at a rally helped something yeah. then I would do it, but I'm not like, uh, you know, really honestly, I don't think men should have much opinion on what happens here. Oh, yeah. No, I, other, I, other than the fact that every once in a while, there is going to be a male politician who has to vote on behalf of, what I would like to hope would be, his, in his opinion, the women of his constituency when he's making said vote. Because, yeah. I mean, like, you know, it, it's, not a, it's not a representative de- democracy, democracy in the sense that uh, 73% of the people who live in your district think abortion is wrong, so therefore you must think abortion is, you know, you mm-hmm. elect somebody who you want to make the best choices because you trust them. You think that they're going to go the way that you want, but not every politician lines up with every single ideal. But I, I think it should be the responsibility of male politicians, especially, to go with what their constituents want. And mm-hmm. most people in America, when polled, want some form of legal abortion. Right. And the the question is not as to whether or not it begins or ends at six weeks, but whether or not, like, you know, it's a uh, second trimester or third trimester or, you know, are we following Roe v. Wade uh, to the letter of the law, or can we come in a little bit on that? Is that is that a reasonable argument to have? I mean, like, the, these are all fine philosophical arguments to be made by people who aren't politicians. That's the, right. that's mostly the point I'm trying to make. Like, well, and and I think man, men's voice, men's reasons for being part of the discussion are to raise our voices as part of a chorus, but to not be the loudest. We are not the front runner. We're not the front speaker. We're just the chorus behind, saying yeah. yes, we agree. Uh, also. Yeah, uh, representative democracy should operate correctly, and in no state does more than 10% 
of the populace believe in total bans or even bans up to six weeks. Mm -hmm. General consensus amongst 80% of the population is that at viability is the where we draw the line. And that is 22 to 24 weeks, which is basically where we are now. And that's early viability. That is, yeah. if you are a child born in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins, 22 weeks is about as early as viability stands. See, but I mean, like, and, and the other issue, the, the things I care about in terms of, like, you know, I, I think we sort of laid out my, le- my, in my opinion, where I would want my line drawn. Uh, I probably wouldn't get, I, w- I wouldn't want Rachel to get an abortion if it was right now, but I wouldn't. I would want to leave open as much time as possible to change my mind in case something were to go wrong. Like, yeah, yeah. uh, those genetic tests that you get in 20 weeks. Yeah. I'm saying like, you know, if at 20 weeks we find out that, you know, this child is going to die immediately coming out of the womb and there's like no chance for having a happy, healthy life. I don't see the point in continuing going on through the process Yeah, only to lose, you know, cause that and going through childbirth, which could kill her. Yeah. Well, not only only that, but I mean like there's the, uh, I, I don't think people think about the pro-life argument wants to be so cut and fast on, you know, like what defines a life. But I also think that there's a lot of things to the, to the ancillary of that, such as, you know, there's women who give birth to children who die right away and are psychologically ruined because of that. Mm -hmm. There are women who have perfectly healthy children (laughs) and are psychologically ruined because they have, you know, postpartum or any number of things that come up as complications from the pregnancy. I just think that, we should open up every single available option to everyone for as long as we can all deem this reasonable, right. you know? And I think the, the, the question of what is reasonable will be different to different people. But I think that, you know, much like, and I hate, <laughs> I don't like making parables to this, but I mean, like I, I smoke and I know that a lot of people don't like the smell of smoke. Mm-hmm. So I make the choice to be uh, kind to others that I'm going to walk you know, 20 feet away from other people. If I'm smoking, if I, if there's a restaurant of people sitting outside, I'm going to yeah. walk all the way to the corner <laughs> to smoke my cigarette because I don't want to disturb the people outside sure. eating their, their lunch. Uh, legally speaking, I could stand right out <laughs> outside of them I'm and smoke my cigarette and blow it in their direction. Yeah. There's nothing against the law about doing that, but it, you know, it's just a reasonable thing, you know? So like I, I wouldn't be on the side of, unlimited abortions right up until the moment that the child is born, which is not what any law. No, no, no. But I'm saying like, yeah, I'm just saying, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in favor of that sort of thing, but I think there should be some sort of cutoff point. And that needs to be discussed. I think mostly by, uh, you know, people in the medical field and women more specifically. Yeah. Uh, the most ironic thing of all is, uh, Alabama governor making her announcement of, uh, supporting this law and that she was going to sign it, uh, opened it, opened her press conference by uh, talking about how all life is precious. And do you know what the second half of that press conference was about? No. How Alabama was going to execute their 23rd uh, inmate this year. So all life is precious, except for all of those guys on death row. And the guy on death row they're going to execute arguably has a uh, mental uh, acuity of 70-some very low, yeah. probably just high enough by the Supreme Court to execute him, but they're not going to test him again because God knows they don't want that other result so that he's so low that they can't execute him. Um, so, yeah, so announcing that all life is precious and then we're going to ban abortions and executing a guy all in the same press conference. Like, well, and that's all, also, the, oh, this whole week with uh, uh, Republican 
think tanks and you know media and politicians going on and on about how uh, precious you know life is and how we should be taking care of these children even if they're not born yet and blah blah blah. Yet we found out that the number of uh, <laughs> children who are essentially living in cages and various different ways yep. uh, down at the border is way higher than we originally thought, mm-hmm. which is already way higher than we had originally thought before. Cause yep. if you remember when the first, when we first started talking about this issue, it was like, you know, Oh, maybe it's 5,000 and then it jumped to like 10. And now it turns out that there might be like 30,000 families and children yep. living in, uh, in cages in internment camps, essentially. Yep. Uh, I mean, y- I don't. I don't get how if if it was across the line, like we need to take care of everyone, like and this is the this uh, children at the border will not stand and abortion will not stand. Then I get where you're coming from. Yeah, I can I can see a clear through line in your thought process that allows me to understand at least psychologically where you're coming from. But if you're going to say that the life of the child is important, but the life of the child who's already alive but you know sleeping on a sleeping bag on concrete in the middle of San Antonio somewhere. That doesn't, that doesn't add up to me. You know, that's my, also, uh, as soon as that child is born, you fight to give it healthcare for the rest of its life. You fight to give it food, proper housing, um, clothing, like the basic necessities of life. You don't want to give that child because it was born in poverty but you want to force the child to be born in poverty. And I'm not really understanding the disconnect between those two things. Like at what point are we going to say you're full of shit? Like if you really care about every life and every life is precious, why are we not saying, listen, adults can go fuck themselves, but we need to expand Medicaid so that it covers every child under the age of 18, that they get good medical care, good dental care, um, and all the, the parent has to do is show up at a doctor or hospital, and you're covered. Yeah. If you take any sort of Medicare uh, at all, you have to cover any child who shows up. Great. Uh, and we're going to, you know, the uh, food stamp program is really screwed up. But let's talk about WIC, where all you get is milk and formula and maybe add diapers to that because diapers aren't covered by any program and all kids use diapers and, you know, uh, it's very expensive. I can tell you from personal experience, diapers are ridiculously expensive. Any of that. Yeah. If we really care about kids and you really, really want to fight for life, let me see the other part of that first. And oh, by the way, let's do what everyone is talking about this week and say every dollar you're going to invest in fighting uh, against abortion, let's match that with a dollar doing uh, good, uh, making condoms available, making birth control available, giving education to kids because Alabama also is the hardest place in the country to get, uh, birth control. If you are a teenager, if a teenage girl, especially, uh, and if you're a male, I mean, condoms are relatively widely available, but they actually tax, uh, contraceptives in Alabama. And the education has to be 50% or more based on abstinence only education. And generally speaking, the education in Alabama is abstinence only, which we know does not work. Abstinence only education is not a real thing. That's not education. It's you pretending that kids don't have sex. Yeah. And that's just not the case. Kids have sex. Sorry about that. Um, well, and again, it, uh, you know, I used to have, we used to have fire drills in school and it wasn't for the purpose of, uh, let's, Let's just uh, pretend that there's a fire. It was, here's what you do in case there's a fire. Yeah. Like, this is not meant to be, like, a real, like, situation, but act like you would. Act calm 
and just see how quickly you can get out of this building. Wait, if you're everyone just me plays along the, and like the fire drills don't make kids set fires. No, I thought that's what it was. It was you no, practice no, no. for the fire drill because kids set fires. The problem with abstinence only education is it works great up until the moment that you have a half naked girl in front of you, and then. You start making up a lot of choices based off of things that aren't in your mind. Like you're yeah. starting to, you're starting to say like, "Oh shit, I am not prepared for this moment. I wish we had a fire drill on this." Yes. And yeah. that's what that's what a sex education that isn't abstinence only kind of provides. It's just at the very least, if you find yourself in the situation where you might have sex with a girl, uh or you might find have sex with a boy or whatever, uh this is what you should know. Yeah. And I'd be like uh, having an active shooter drill and not yeah. using a white male teen as your uh, your prospective shooter. Because if you were doing an active shooter drill and, I don't know, perhaps you use a man in a head, a head wrap as if he was Arab, um, that would be, have taken place in exactly zero of the school shootings that we yeah. have had since 1998. Um, yet there is a school that chose to do that because <laughs> – uh, it's not about being prepared. It's about scaring the shit out of you. Um, and absence only education, which at some point just says, if you touch another person, you will get AIDS, which I feel like is what the Christian school I went to in middle school. I think that was our sex education. Like, that was what they said to you too. Sex, don't do it. You're going to get AIDS. Um, by the way, eh, I grew up in a, with a lot of fear of AIDS. I feel like kids today don't fear AIDS as much as they – I mean, maybe because Magic Johnson's still alive. They're just like, yeah, fuck it. Like, uh, you know. I – I think that it seemed like it slowed down a lot once condoms became more of a talking point. I guess maybe. Like, I think over the course of the 80s, as condoms became more of like, well, you got to use a condom. Yeah. It became le- like the numbers stopped growing, and then it became less of a fear on top of people's minds. Uh, and there I mean, was like, no I rem- option for me. I, don't know. I mean, like, I remember when I was first having sex, I was still worried about potentially getting AIDS or anything. That's against my point. That was like two years ago. I'm talking about (laughs) back in the nineties. I still worried. I worried. I worried that, uh, that 50% of women had some sort of sexually transmitted disease that I might get. Well, like I had to, I had to worry about it to worry about it every single time until I got a girl who got tested, you know, like, they they're all dirty. Don't touch any of them. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, our gen, my generation, our generation, I, I condoms every time. That was yeah. just what it was. It was cost to do in business. Was yeah. all right, guys. We're gonna let's go figure out if we can get the uh, old guy down at the liquor store to buy us a fifth, and uh, then we're gonna stop by the uh, pharmacy and buy ourselves. It's a just, like, just like if you uh, if you were gonna smoke some weed, you have to you have to buy a pipe, you have to buy uh, some rolling papers, you got to do something along with just the weed. Don't if you want to guy an apple that's if you not want gonna it, happen if you wanted to have sex the bare minimum is you invest in a condom yeah yeah and like a good one not like some weird condom and then if you're Corey, you carry that bad boy around not for Ralph, seven years not ralph's quality condoms <laughs> <laughs> uh well so uh from people who are getting fucked some people who are not getting fucked i feel really jealous about the morehouse class of 2019 <laughs> i bet you do who <laughs> boy so uh, I've been well publicized on the podcast talking about my <laughs> three hundred thousand plus dollar student loan debt. Mm-hmm. That's right, six figures, multi six figures, yeah, student loan many, debt, many many six figures. Yes, uh, and the commencement speaker, uh, whose name I probably should have looked up, but uh, the commencement speaker at Morehouse College this year. Uh, 
finished his commencement speech by announcing that he was going to pay off the student loans of every person in the class of 2019 because he was given an honorary degree and he Mm -hmm. felt as though he was part of the class. So as a gift to his classmates, he was going to pay off uh, their student loans. Uh, I don't know who else graduated in the Hofstra class of 2006, but if you feel like paying off, you know, your (laughs) classmates' student loans. Or, you know, just the famous, uh, uh, who's the, Phil Rosenthal uh, went to Hofstra. Yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, he he seems to. Richard Jenny went to Hofstra too. I think he made uh, he made some money on the uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. Maybe yeah. he wants to uh, talk about how everyone loves uh, tax free Hofstra education. I mean, uh, well, first uh, of all, <laughs> tuition free Hofstra education. He didn't make enough in that entire time on Everybody Loves Raymond to pay off my student loan debt, <laughs> let alone the whole classes. But <laughs> nonetheless, um, here is the, it brings up two interesting questions. One. Uh, you lucky devils with your getting your student loans paid off because that really gives you a leg up. Um, just being able to say, I can kind of take whatever job I want. Uh, I know people who had no student loans and were able to just be like, hey, you know, I'm going to go dick around for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't need to get a job immediately. Um, for me, August, my first student loan payment was due. And I was like, all right, uh, got to find a job. Got to get, get to it. Uh, and I was trying to run a campaign at the same time, which really sucked. The other side of this story is the total payment for those student loans, $40 million for the graduating class. And you'd think it would be a bigger part of the story. And I don't think it is except for maybe on leftist Twitter where I'm a frequent uh, contributor, but $40 million in student loans for the class of 2019, like good grief. Only 40 students. (laughs) It's a really small school. I was going to say, it was more than that, right? Like, it was 300. I was just kidding. I think it was only like 319 students, though. So, like, that's still an amazingly high amount. Uh, And Morehouse is not Yale or Harvard. Like, it's not super expensive tuition. So, how is it that that few students ran up $40 million in student loan debt? Well, because college is goddamn expensive. Yeah. And Uh, ridiculous. I, uh... I, I feel like uh, I've been thinking about this myself. If I had a kid who was like, you know, 17, 18 years old at this point. Which, by the way, we are just about at that age where we could, we, you could we have could a 16 have hypothetically, year old. Yeah. You have a 16 year old. No, now. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Could have. Um, Speaking of condoms back when we were 16. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank God. God, am I glad that I didn't have to get, get I didn't get anyone pregnant up until this point. Uh Knocking on wood that it doesn't happen anytime soon, too. Working on the line yeah. of Andy Nelson's in your yeah. 15th year. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I you um, No, I, I just... <laughs> it, I don't imagine I would necessarily tell my kid that they should go to college. Yeah. If I was a parent of a college-age kid right now, I wouldn't stop them from going to college I wouldn't say like uh, I'm not going to help you or anything like that, but I would also probably try and de- figure out what they want first. Because I mean, like, mm-hmm. if I would have honestly spent time thinking about what I wanted when I was 18, then I might have gone to film school instead of yeah. college. And film school is way more affordable than college. And uh, you know that might have changed a lot. You know, like, yeah. Uh, by the way, I'd feel a lot better about that three hundred thousand dollars if it were something I was interested in and yeah. something that like I if was you were a doing. doctor or something like that. If I want, I mean, if I wanted to be a lawyer, yeah. If they had made me go out and practice law in the summer 
of my first year of law school. And I would say, this is miserable. Who would want to do this for their whole life? Yeah. Uh, let's just call it right here. Um, it would be better. Or if I had, you know, again, given a, a thought to like, what would you want to do for the rest of your life? That's really the question. What do you want to do for the rest of your life? And I didn't give a thought to that. It was just, I'm going to college. I got to figure out what I'm going to do when I get there. <laughs> you so. know what maybe they should do? You remember like the scared straight program? Yes. Where like you'd bring some troubled kids into a prison and have them talk to a prisoner about like how they're doing a 15 year bid for yeah. armed robbery or something like that. Never had to do that. Luckily. Maybe they should do like a scared straight for like jobs. At the worst like, profession? No, no, no. You just find somebody who's really crotchety about the job that they have, like a crotchety lawyer. Yeah, come, just come talk to them. And me. they just have like five kids who think they want to be lawyers, like sit down in front of you and just be like, you know what's really terrible? Family law. You ever see a kid screaming and crying because their parents are being split apart from one another and they don't get to see their dad anymore? Yeah. Like, yeah. like that's what you have to look forward to. And you're never going to be able to pay out those student loans. It's a lot. You're never, never going to get out from under them. And then maybe you get some kids that go like, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm going to be a pathologist instead. So I got yelled at by one of my employees because her little brother, little brother, came by the office and he was like, yeah, so I'm going to graduate next year and uh, or graduate in the spring. Yeah. And I'm going to go on to law school. I'm applying to law schools now. And I just sat him down and had like a nice little 20 minute talk with him. So he's taking a year off uh, <laughs> instead just to feel it out and just to see what he wants to do. And uh, when he made that announcement, she came in and was just like. What did you do? <laughs> I'm like, I was just honest with the kid, and I just told him, like, think about what you're going to spend and I whether told it's worth the truth. it. I it's, told him the truth. Sometimes you got to hear it. Um, also, I, I mean, had this is like, you know, I imagine if you if you said to yourself, like, when you were a kid, like, I want to be a professional baseball player. It's just like, all right, well, it seems great. You play baseball every single night of the year of you know for 162 games, uh, three hours a night, and you make millions upon millions of dollars. Yeah, sounds wonderful. Uh, but you also have to stay in immaculate shape. Mm -hmm. You have to be sure, be careful about what you eat, not just while you're a professional athlete, but all the way up through your entire life to get to the point where you're even considered a professional athlete. Yep. Then most of the time you spend in hotels and on planes traveling from city to city. That part I don't mind. Well, I mean like, but you know, you're, people, you're yeah. sort of like, you're like in and out of these places, yep. you know, like. Yes, you get the money and you get the fame and you get the girls and stuff like that, but there's a lot of counterpoints to it that nobody ever brings up. Um, you get some kid on Twitter calling you an asshole for, you know, striking out in the third or something like that. Yeah. Like there's there's a lot of things that yeah, a dentist doesn't have to worry about some go some kid like blowing up his Twitter with like, hey, way to ruin Timmy's wisdom but, tooth surgery. But the the uh the profession with the highest rate of suicide, dentistry. Yeah. Second only to Lawyers are, uh, lawyers are second to dentists. Yeah. Um, but, uh, part of my other argument is, uh, college loans are predatory lending and I've seen this going around and I agree wholeheartedly. What bank would give a seven, 18 in my case, 18 year old kid, $150,000 loan. Yeah. If I just, with no credit at all, said, hey, uh, I got this crazy idea. I'm going to go spend $150,000 of your money to get drunk really often. And at some point, maybe a couple times a week, I'll show up at this place. And at the end of it, I'll get a piece of paper that might make me earn more money as over my lifetime. What bank would ever give me that loan? How about this? I, I just had an idea. I don't know if this is a thing or if this is just a weird idea that just popped in my head. What if 
legally speaking, the rate of interest on any student loan debt is tied to your performance in school up until the moment that you take out the debt. I mean, well, no, because the thing that so they if don't like tell a, you about... If you're like an A-plus student, like you've right? only gotten A's your entire your entire career up until the point, you know, like up, up through senior year, and then you get loans, then you get them at a 0.1% interest for life or something, you know? like. I mean, I guess that incurred, but again... Uh, and then we, if you're like really dumb and you got D's everywhere and you just barely pass through every single year, then you're the one with the explosive like 23% <laughs> interest rate or something like that. Here's where it gets like... And then uh, maybe you think about it a little bit more if you're just like, well, to go to college, to go to Arizona State and, and do communications... I'd have to also factor in this 23% interest rate. So maybe I should just go be a plumber instead. Like maybe that'll keep some people from like, yes, it'll siphon off the people who wouldn't want to pay the huge. I mean, I imagine there's a lot of them who would still go, but just because of like 23%, what the fuck do I care? Right. <laughs> and that's going to be my when problem. You're, when you're 18 years old, you don't like when you get the car that. loan. And I had a like, credit card that was 23%. And I'm like, it's fine, like twenty three percent. That's that's like nothing, right? I don't really like. I who mean, cares? if I need to buy something for a hundred dollars and I don't have the money, but I, it's like you know, twenty three percent tax for just having to yeah to buy, buy it early. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I don't. I, that will probably dissuade some people. But then the problem though is, how do you do the refinancing? Because by the way, each one of those loans is an individual account. Yeah. So when I got out of undergrad, I had eight accounts each of them for one semester's worth of money. Oh. So, I mean, I kept my grades up. I graduated medical law from undergrad. So let's say I kept my grades up and I kept that low interest rate. But then the first thing that they offer to do when you get out is, let's take those eight loans and combine them into one big loan. And then that way, when you pay down, you pay down faster, which is true. Except for the 4% loan that I had in college turned into an 8% loan when I got them all together. And then I added in a 9% loan for each semester of law school, which when I put all of those loans together at the end turned into a 13% loan overall, not because the interest rate went up, but because the amount when you put them together is so large that it qualified as a jumbo loan. (laughs) I could have bought a fucking house for the amount of money I had on student loans. And it was really dumb, but it's also, uh, there's a level of like pot committed. Yeah. Like, well, there was I'm also there in. was also a level of like, uh, I'm at law school, but I'm also an adult who has a life, so uh, yeah. I need I need a little bit more for my loan so that I can eat this week, right? And uh, and, and by the way, the law school doesn't provide like a um, meal plan, a meal plan. Yeah, like I'm just like I I have to go to the store and buy food. I cannot just live on campus and eat. Right. I lived on campus at Hofstra, and the gr- the graduate meal plan gave me access to the exact same dining facilities. But was twice as much as the undergrad meal yeah. plan. Why? Because they just know that you can get more money and they're just getting more money from you. And Hofstra's job is to make money. You see, here, I think at the end of the day, we need to, we need to have a serious conversation about what businesses can be for profit and which ones cannot. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that colleges and uh, loans for colleges need to be a not-for-profit completely. Like healthcare. Of, yeah. yeah, like healthcare should be as well. Like alternate plan. Yeah, guillotines. We just guillotine everybody who is in control of the student loan industry, and then we just pretend that all of that debt doesn't exist. Maybe, maybe. Uh, okay, so maybe on your guillotine point. Yeah. Uh, maybe you could do like a, a shots fired kind of thing. Okay. So like, uh, uh, take a 
take one thing that everyone hates. Like, let, let's just say student loans, right? Sure. Everybody hates student loans. <laughs> you get the CEOs of all the student loan companies just lined up. Yep. You live stream it, guillotine them all in front of everybody. Yeah. And then, like, have one person, like, you know, in the mask, but, like, look at the camera and just be like, healthcare, you're next week unless you figure it out. <laughs> You start to get a lot yeah. of problems. And all of a sudden, you see here. the Kaiser CEO go like, "You know what? I think our prices are a little bit high." <laughs> I'm not saying Medicare for all is a perfect solution. What I'm saying is maybe we should shoot for 100 percent coverage, one way or the I other. I would like every single person in America to come up, pick up their one thousand dollar check from Kaiser Permanente. <laughs> you bring your Social Security <laughs> card to any Kaiser facility, <laughs> we will see you. We'll treat you. We'll fill, help you fill out the paperwork. Uh, <laughs> By, by the way, uh, new episode. You have a of pre-existing. New you have a pre-existing condition. No problem. We don't no even problem. ask. Just come on in. We don't Just even ask. <laughs> We're not going to fill out the paperwork. It's okay. uh, the new episode of New Amsterdam. Yeah. Uh, the head of the medical director he gets this idea like all these people in here, everyone qualifies for health insurance. They're all poor. They just don't know that they qualify. So what we need to do is sign everyone up for health insurance. And then like the kitchen in that plan is that. The health insurance bracket is so complicated that not even the hospital administrators can figure out the best plan for everybody. Yeah. So he's like, well, that didn't work. All right. So what's the next? Like, that's where we are. But you know what? I think it gets real uncomplicated when you start guillotining people on national TV and being like, hey, um, uh, payday lenders, you're up on Thursday. Yeah. See you then. And then all of a sudden it's like, that's 23% is a little much. We're just going to go ahead and forgive everything that was out there now. Just come in, pay your, uh, pay off what you owe. No interest. You no know, when you, when you came in to uh, cash your, or to get an advance on your check, we happened to notice that you get paid $1,500 a week. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Zero percent interest on this one. You, we know you're good. good for it. Yeah. You're <laughs> clearly going to come in, right? Yeah. So pay off what you owe us right now. <laughs> Uh, we're actually going to front you a little bit it's just amazing. as a thank you. It's amazing how this system works so well. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, you know, whenever, whenever you said guillotines before, it just made me think like just discriminant murder. But I mean, now that it Focused. seems like it's part of a plan. <laughs> murder? Yeah. Why does communism, <laughs> listen, all the faults of communism aside, the general threat of murder at all times <laughs> tends to keep the rich people in line. Uh, it's all amazing you do is how that works. Cut off some prince and king's heads and all of a sudden people start acting right. That's all I'm saying. Spe- speaking of murder, keeping things in line. <laughs> should, we only- take a, should we take a trip on down to the bottom corner? <laughs> Where you get the straight dough? Indeed. Oh, man. Uh, it's not quite the murder capital of the world, but uh, 33 murders in 30 days, you think it might be. Uh, listen, we're vying for that championship. We will not be denied one of these years. You're going down, Chicago. Listen, I, we're going to win per capita one way or another. Either drive out so many people that the population <laughs> just goes down or murder enough that we get up there in the top spot. It's not even summer yet either. By the way, it, it's been weird weather-wise, I think, everywhere. Uh Listen, global warming is not a thing, Corey. I know you're trying to press your liberal logic on us. Global like, warming is not a thing. I like how how every single week my my political affiliation changes based off of what you're trying to insult me well, with. Well, listen, the spectrum is really a circle. If you go far <laughs> enough left, eventually you go right again. Again, what's your, what's your political philosophy, Corey? Well, he's either a communist or he's a Nazi. <laughs> Wait, are you a commentator on Fox News? I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I've heard that argument before. But yes, uh, Baltimore, uh, 33 murders in 30 days. It is not Memorial Day yet. Um, I think they're planning another uh, peace. Uh, or, yeah, they, what's they, it called? The uh, Baltimore ceasefire. Ceasefire. They did one. 
uh, and there was like because somebody died during the Baltimore ceasefire. Uh, everyone likes to jump up and down and go like, "It doesn't work." And I'm just like, I, "Yeah, no." I mean, they're not they're not out there being Batman. I mean, well, I mean, also, like, it's not like they're not much you know they can do. They're not the Baltimore Police Department. Yeah. It's not like they're out on corners actually patrolling. Uh, and also, they're not like the Baltimore Police Department. They're not shooting innocent people yeah. in garages, if you've been paying attention to Undisclosed, which you should. The trial of, of um, uh, Keith Davis Jr. Yep. begins in July. Uh, but not on that topic this week. Going to a few other things. First, I just want to touch on the fact that uh, a few months back, we joked heavily about the Fort Worth Chief of Police coming to Baltimore and being the brand new Baltimore Chief of Police. Yeah. And then he withdrew his name because uh, he was announced as a new person without any interview process, basically. Yeah. And people didn't seem to like that very much. Yeah. Uh, people don't like being railroaded. Uh, Jack Young in particular. And a uh, funny story, Jack Young, now the mayor of the city. So <laughs> weird how that worked out. Uh, but it turns out that all the good work he did in Fort Worth uh, maybe didn't matter because now he's out in Fort Worth. Yeah. Uh, basically the mayor and council said, we need to go a new direction. We felt as though he wasn't focusing on the policing here in Fort Worth. Maybe he's out interviewing some places. Wasn't focusing on what he should do at home. I do, you know, I do feel a little bit bad for him in the sense that I think that he thought he probably had this job oh, yeah. in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he was just like, you know, uh, I think everyone's sort of understanding that I'm going to move on for Fort Worth. I'm going to go to Baltimore. They're going to find somebody new and we'll all be good. Yes. And then when Fort Worth heard that Joel Fitzgerald might be leaving, they're just like, all right, well, I guess we got to start finding a replacement. And then when Joel Fitzgerald was not leaving, then they're just like, well, we found this guy we like so much better. I mean, we did. We so, found some really good candidates out there. You and, shouldn't uh, have uh, brought up the fact that uh, you were thinking about leaving because yeah. it made us think about who we were replacing you with. And now we did. And now, uh, now, yeah, you're gone. Sorry. Um, I, you know, just in regards to, uh, Baltimore police commissioners, yeah. uh, Michael Harrison, anytime you want to, uh, start doing something, they would, uh, I feel like I haven't even heard him like at a press conference, just like sort of, Oh, well, I mean, well, he defended, he talked defended, generally about his ideas of what's going on or like, well, police have shot three people, I think, in the, since he's become commissioner, uh, he defended all three as, uh, qualified use of forces without reviewing any videotape or mm -hmm. anything, just blanketly defending the police, um, which seems a little off book for him. Not the guy I thought we were getting. Um, I mean, in New Orleans, he was a, was New Orleans? Baton Rouge? Yeah, yeah. New, New, New Orleans. Orleans. He was very much like a, listen, uh, we're going to review. We're going to, we're going to see, we're going to, uh, if any charges are necessary, we'll of course support the investigation. But in it's like Baltimore is just like a corrupting force. Like you cannot come here <laughs> It, the FOP just has something on everybody. And they're just like, you're going to back our guy, see? It's not even an option, see? And they're just like, he's like, okay. He just woke up every single morning, his tires were slashed, and he's just like, this seems ominous. I feel like, uh, <laughs> I feel like this might be a message uh, somebody's trying to send me. But uh, yeah, I haven't really seen him otherwise. Uh, he Just came, like Gene Ryan. What is it, Gene Kelly or Gene Ryan? I can't remember. The he's got FOP. two first names, right? Yeah. yeah Always a crowd pleaser, two first names. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Gene, whatever. FOP <laughs> president. Every single morning, you just see a knife in your tires with G Love Gene written on it. <laughs> I'm not really sure how this is going to work out. But um, uh, I can't say for sure that that's the FOP president. There's many people named Gene. 
Next time, not a knife. It's a pin from the FOP. <laughs> just so it's clear who you're dealing with. Um, but uh, he hasn't really... He, this is Gene, who's not Gene Ryan, sir, means business. <laughs> it does. Uh, <laughs> He he came in with all these big ideas about how he was going to def- defend the uh, the what's it called the consent agreement yeah. and uh, make some changes and I've seen nothing. Uh, so you know again tweet of the week uh, Baltimore things that we have uh, things that we need uh, a mayor an active police chief and working computers things that we got mayor <laughs> okay none of the other things yeah. are actually working. But anytime he feels like he wants to uh, step up and do something, I'm, yeah. uh, I'm willing to change my mind on Michael Harrison. <laughs> sure. Just waiting here with bated breath for something to happen. To be fair, he hasn't done anything bad. Yeah. He yeah. just hasn't done anything good either. And I mean, like, maybe those three police shootings are, you know, on the up and up, per se, you know? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I'm going to go with no, but sure, I mean, maybe. You know, maybe. You maybe. never know. Doubt. Yeah. Uh, but... The big news maybe, of, maybe he just got got a uh, got blessed with three good shoots in his yeah. first uh, three out the gate. I mean, it's like nothing I had to worry, nothing I had to worry about here. These are all these are all quality shootings. There's a chance, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but the big news out of Baltimore this week has nothing to do with police shootings uh, directly, uh, and it's not about violence uh, directly. Um, Big story is about horses. Yeah. Because the second prong of the Triple Crown was held in Northwest Baltimore just this weekend. Yep. Uh, so we've talked about the Preakness here and there throughout yes. the years. Uh, Kegasis, uh, a favorite of ours. <laughs> Bring back Kegasis. There was, there was also the talks of when people were bringing in shopping carts full of beer <laughs> and then having porta potty races and the debauchery of the infield way yes. back when in the day. Now yeah. it seems like a more demure. Uh, occasion. Well, the grandstands are condemned, so they have to send down yeah. the rich people down to the uh, infield. So, yeah. So, uh, catching up for people who may not be aware, um, the state of Maryland subsidizes subsidizes the company that owns uh, Pimlico Racetrack uh, to help with repairs and upkeep and blah 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 blah. But, uh, but Corey, um, do they only own Pimlico? They don't. They also oh. own Laurel Park, oh, okay. the newer horse racing facility down in Montgomery County. Yes. And uh, over the last uh, five years or so, this company has been spending about 90% of that money on Laurel Park and almost none of it on Pimlico. Hmm. And uh, that sort of came to roost this week as there's been rampant speculation that they're trying to move the Preakness to uh, Laurel Park because... Uh, None of the toilets seem to be working at Pimlico. They had to condemn an entire section of the grandstands because it was not safe enough for people to watch the horse race in. Yeah. And uh, I think I'm at the point right now. I, there, There is a law, by the way, in the books uh, that says the Preakness has to be held inside of Baltimore unless there is some sort of uh, emergency reason why it cannot be held. Yeah. So I guess, like, you know, under hypothetical... If it was, you know, May 10th and the Preakness is about to happen in like a week or something like that. Yeah. And uh, say Pimlico burns the ground. Sure. Then they could move it under those circumstances to Laurel while they rebuild Pimlico or something like that. Which, you know, might be the position to take at this point. It might be better off. (laughs) I uh, I don't. I think that the Preakness needs to stay in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for. Not only Maryland, but Baltimore, that it stays there. It's one of the only, like, bright spots the city gets every single year. Yeah, it's the only reason white people care about Northwest Baltimore. (laughs) Uh, But I'm going to say this. And uh, 
this comes from uh, a lifetime of never being able to afford a horse or uh, ride a horse or care about horse racing or any of this. But knowing that all the people who seem to care about horse racing and all these sort of things also seem to be exceptionally rich. Hmm, uh, strange. My new my new point of my new uh, my new point here is uh, I think that the rich people who participate in the horse racing need to pay for the stadiums in which they take place. Okay. Uh, if you were to say to me, uh, the Ravens need need a new stadium, mm-hmm. we are only going to charge sports fans taxes in order to pay for that stadium. Okay. I would agree with that principle. And how would and you I do think that? that only rich people should have to pay for the horse racing. How do you do that? How would you do that? Yeah. <sighs> I mean, it seems like the easiest way to do it would be to uh, put some sort of ticket or tax on the ticket, mm. which would be a way you think to do only it. Only rich people are going to Pimlico. No, but I think that the rich people are the people who profit off of horse racing continuing. Okay. And I think that, you know, like a college student who gets drunk in the infield is not quite the same as, so, you know, Bob Baffert. Like, he gets drunk in the grandstand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I, at the end of the day, it's a sport that only matters to the people who invested a lot of money into a, ra- into a horse so that they could hopefully win some races and then breed the horse and make more money off of it. Right. Or people who gamble on the horses and make money off of gambling on the horses. But see, that's where uh, it's like slots. Yes. Rich people get rich from the slots, but it is a diversion for less rich people. Yeah. I still think that, uh, I still think that if you are, if you are somebody who owns a horse, then you should probably be paying for Pimlico. Okay. Let's put it that way. So maybe make a registration fee? Yeah. Like if you want to come in and race your horse, you have a fee. If you want to if you want to have a horse in the state of Maryland, then you have to pay the percentage of tax that every other Marylander is not paying. Okay. To uh upkeep Pimlico. As someone who will never own a horse, I am fine <laughs> with that. You are fine with that yes. tax. Yeah. I am fine with that tax. Uh, I do I mean agree, it's though. just the same like I, I like I you know public money going to like building a marina that only yachts for rich people will right. have uh, like you have a 15 million dollar yacht you can pay for the fucking marina. Like yep. you know there's no reason that my money needs to go towards your fucking marina. Yep. That's I and you know smarter minds than me will be able to come up with the exact way that you only get horse people. A luxury tax. Only get that? rich people. Luxury yeah. tax. If you trying to ball on a budget, you are also going to be paying part of that uh, for the pimp for Pimlico. <laughs> Maybe a excise tax on luxury items. Yeah, like if you want to buy, we're not going to stop you from buying the uh, Bentley convertible. Sure. <laughs> like if you want it, you can have it, but realize that there's a ten percent excise. <laughs> and if you go buy it in yeah. Delaware and bring it over here, we gonna tax you when. You go to register it. Yeah. So that's fine. I'm fine with that. I do think that Preakness should stay in Baltimore. It is one of the historic things that Baltimore has, and we have so little. <laughs> um, and I mean, I mean, where again, you're going to take it down to Montgomery County and give them more. Is that really? Uh, it, it feels a little bit. I, you said earlier, I mean, it feels a little bit like the Colts sneaking out. Like that's yeah. kind of what they're doing right now. Well, so. And the other, the other side of it too, is that Pimlico is really, uh, I don't know how much you, you ever spent time up near Pimlico. Uh, only driving Uber. Yeah. But and I'm picking seeing, up the rich assholes. There's a lot of, a lot of like, uh, sort of like the neighborhood congregates mm-hmm. around Preakness. 
And it feels like people are just sort of like walking in from all directions and sort of converging on Pimlico. If I remember correctly, Laurel, though, is sort of like... Uh, out, it's out, right? Yeah, it's like uh, the Redskins Stadium. Yeah. Where it's just like the, the only way to get there is to pay $20 for parking to mm-hmm. <laughs> the Redskins to, to go see the game. Or take a train and then take an Uber from the train station. Yeah, because there's, no, there's no like way to like take public transportation or walk to it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be built to be sort of like the new rich person. Ver- you know, it's like... a when all the casinos went up, like Laurel park seems like the Maryland live version of (laughs) a gaming establishment, you know, like, Oh yeah. I don't know. I, I maybe, maybe that's the one too. Like, uh, uh, attacks on, uh, gaming winnings or something like that. Yeah. But then again, you're striking at poor people who are still going out and gambling and winnings over a certain amount. So the poor guy who hits a lotto has to give no no up no. But I'm saying like winnings? if you're at if you're at a horse racing facility and you win more than five thousand dollars on a horse race, okay. then a percentage of that tax is going to go towards fixing penalty. No matter what your original bet was. So let's say you bet a five thousand to one odd and put a dollar down and won five thousand dollars. Okay, well I mean I'll give you that's just luck. I mean, but I mean. <laughs> If you win $5,000 because you put down 4500 on a 2 to 1 or you know like a or a 12 to 1 shot and you win oh 500 I don't know how those odds work. Uh smaller, right? Smaller is worse. Yeah. So 3 to 1 and you put down 4500 and you clear 5300. Okay, great. Well, you uh, actually won more than 5000, so we're going to tax you. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, brighter minds than me can figure out the details. I'm just sort of throwing random ideas out well, here. That's exactly what, what I'm yeah. trying to do. Brighter minds are trying to figure <laughs> out what the solution is. But uh, in the end, uh, previous was running Baltimore. They're on to Belmont. Uh, the highlight of the race for me was uh, one of our horse brethren throwing off the shackles of servitude <laughs> and deciding to run his own race for himself. And yes, comrade horse. I'm with you. <laughs> Viva la Equis. Viva la Quebec. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, but also, uh, I've, uh, I've said for a long time, it seemed weird to me that um, what, what do the jockeys do? And everyone's like, you got to understand, it's, it's a sport. The jockeys are driving the horses. Yeah. They're the ones. And then the guy, he bucks off his uh, jockey at the very beginning and finishes in the middle of the pack. And I'm just like, if he didn't have that dude on his back to begin with, <laughs> is there a chance he wins the race without a jockey? I mean, he's disqualified at the beginning. But is there a chance he wins the race? Like, maybe the jockeys, maybe we should be like ho- our dog racing. And we just put the horses out there and we just let them run. But what would they <laughs> just chase? Is that a carrot? Like, <laughs> Yeah, so what would they chase? Like a carrot maybe? I don't know. I, I feel like that's the problem is getting them to run. <laughs> Just give him a little slap on the ass. The, ex- at the, the exposed ass of the trainer who beats them every day. Yes. <laughs> okay, here we go. Steeplechase. Start with the jockeys or the trainers first. Trainers go. And then one minute later, horses go. And it's who's quickest to the quarter mile. That's what we're going to do. I, uh, I would watch that. I would See, get I, into horse racing if that was it. I I I think so much of my problem with the horse racing too is the amount of horses that die. Oh yeah, like racing. Uh, Santa, like, Santa Anita, twenty four since December. Something yeah, like that. ridiculous. Santa Ana. Santa Ana. Yeah, like I, I don't know. Like I, I, I prefer that animals not die in your sport. Yes. I mean, I feel like if twenty four football players have died since December, then we'd start having a different conversation about football. Well, CET. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it's such a, so. yeah, I mean, it, it's, 
it's a weird place that we live in right now, but we'll see. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, let's close it all up the Baltimore corner. Where you get the straight dope. Yes. So here's your warning. We are about to talk some spoilers. Are we going to knock out these two real quick, or are we just going to nah, no, we'll skip, skip that? that? Yeah, we're already at an, uh, about an hour. So, um, Well, then I'll, I'll just say this one thing about Robert Pattinson maybe being Batman. Okay. Uh, everyone thought Heath Ledger as the Joker was a horrible idea at the time. Yep. So maybe uh, wait a little bit before you make your judgments. Everybody thought Christian Bale as Batman was a horrible idea. <laughs> Give it a little time. Everyone Every- thought Michael Keaton as Batman was, was a horrible, horrible idea. idea. Uh, everybody thought Ben Affleck. Okay, no, that's that's yeah. a bad example. <laughs> Wait till um, the actual goddamn movie comes out before you make choices. I would have told you, if you would have asked me to go gut reaction on Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker, I would have said that sounds like a crazy, stupid, idiot idea. Yep. And but, I watch the trailer, and every single time I see it, I get so fucking excited I can't even handle myself. It's October! We have to wait till October! <laughs> also, can't wait to see this fucking movie. DC, I don't know what you're doing, yeah. but stop trying to build a universe. Just give us the one-offs or the, like, the trilogies of a guy by him, like a Batman trilogy. Yeah, because Todd Phillips doesn't want to direct 20 of these movies. No. He just wants to do one and go give on. Like, and uh, give uh, Patty Jenkins three Wonder Womans. No Justice League. Just Wonder Woman. Yeah. That's all I really want. Uh, and, you know, uh, let's give Tom Hardy. Oh, no. Uh, Venom is uh, Marvel. Um, yeah. What was Tom Hardy? Oh, he's Bane. He was yeah. Bane in the other movie. You know what? Give me a Bane trilogy. I don't give a fuck. I'll watch three <laughs> movies with Bane in it just because Tom Hardy's a dreamboat. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. Uh, relax, guy. I mean, again, every literally every person who puts on the cowl, they're like, I don't know about this. See, well, that'll the, kill Mark. Oh, that's another. See, the problem though is, anytime people are really excited about who's Batman, it turns yeah. out horribly. Yeah. People were really excited about George Clooney as Batman because they're like, "Who could be more Bruce Wayne than George mm-hmm. Clooney?" Yeah. And then you watch it, and you're just like, "Nipples." That movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Nipples on the suit. Yeah. How dare you? Oh, but that's you, the first one. You I ruined read. the comics for me. <laughs> Uh, that's the first one I remember because uh, McDonald's did a big push for the Clooney Batman movie. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. The fucking car was ugly, too. Anyway, not important. From this point on, if you have not seen Game of Thrones or The Avengers, you're going to want to stop right here uh, because we are going to have some spoilers. It's been four weeks since Avengers opened. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't seen it by now, I mean, you're probably not going to see it. So, And honestly, with Game of Thrones, it's a different sort of thing. I feel like... If you haven't watched it by now, then it's already been ruined to you by a bunch of other people. Yeah, and so 19.5 million people watched it night of. And they're yeah. predicting another 10 million will watch it today as we record before tomorrow when this is live. Like yeah. 30 million people are going to watch this. If you're not one of them, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. you know, skip forward. You're going to miss the next 10 minutes. So, uh, okay. So, spoiler right, warning. I, I would say you could probably just end the podcast here. Yeah. Because so, this is all we're going to talk about. For good night, me, everybody. So. Uh, okay, so this is it for the whole uh, show, so we'll say goodbye later if you want. You can skip forward to the buys or just whatever. Uh, anyway, so spoiler alert, and after this point, it's unsafe. So, where do you want to start? Game of Thrones or Avengers? Uh, Avengers. Okay, yes. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do in a world without Iron Man. Uh, well, I, we're going to have Iron Man. Well, I mean, we're going to have another person be Iron Man at some yes. point. But I mean, like, uh, God, uh, how how good is John Favreau at... <laughs> calling these things because like he stuck up hard for for rdj yep. to get into iron man yep. and that little move started this incredibly uh life-changing moment for robert downey jr and, and not just that. financially but just like in terms of like he was no he was unhirable he was unhire he was you would be more likely to see uh like harvey weinstein as a producer on your movie than 
Robert Downey Jr. be well, able to actually star in something because he was like he's the insurance, uninsurable. The insurance yeah. premium was ridiculous. They couldn't afford it. Yeah. But in the end, the other side of that is what he did for the fandom. This is Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark is the first time that the movie universe. If you're joining us right now, spoiler alerts for Avengers and uh, Game of Thrones. We're talking about G- mm-hmm. Game of Thrones and talking about Avengers. I see people jumping in. <laughs> so give them a little warning. Yeah. Um, but uh, the comics started looking more like RDJ and they started acting more like his character in the movie. You know what I mean? Like it just, he skewed the comics because they were like, you know what? We thought we had a handle on Tony Stark. It seems like this guy's got a better handle on Tony Stark than we did. So let's just drive the character that direction. And from the jump, from the very first 2008 Iron Man movie, I could not imagine anyone else as Tony Stark from that point. And Luckily, we're not going to have someone else as Tony Stark. It looks like the movie universe is moving on to uh, basically like another man takes up the mantle. But more than – I mean we just talked about all, all of the Batman and, and uh, the villain stuff in the DC universe. Again, how many people said, what are you thinking, John Favreau? This yeah. is the worst decision you could possibly make. This guy is not what you're going to build a franchise around. And now here we are like – on the verge of weeping in the theater as you yeah. have to say goodbye to this guy. So I, I mean, overall I thought Avengers and game was really good. Yeah. Uh, I, I made this point in the review and I think it's something that, that people need to consider a little bit, which is that the perfect ending for you, what you imagined the perfect ending might be, might not be the same perfect ending as somebody else had in mind, but sometimes you have to just be understanding of, uh, if somebody, uh, like if it, if it worked for somebody else, it's got to work for you. And what, like the, yeah. I made the, the point of like a wedding, a friend's wedding, you might have in your mind what your perfect wedding would be. It's going to be in a church. It's going to, the reception's going to be here. We're yeah. going to have crab cakes. We're going to have a band and blah, 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 blah. But I'm and allergic you, to crab. Yeah. But you show up to your friend's wedding and, you know, they're having it in a backyard at a garden and, you know, they have steak for the reception yeah. and there's a DJ and these things aren't exactly like what you wanted, but it's your friend's wedding and that's what they want. Yep. And you still have fun at the wedding, even if it's not the things that you picked. Right. To and you know, like, and like, you had expectations going and, in. Did they hit all of the points that they needed to hit for yeah. this to... Was there a preacher? Did they exchange vows? Did they walk down the aisle at some point? Was there a dance and a cake? Yeah. Yep, we hit all the major points. We covered the ground. Yeah. It doesn't matter that they did it a different way than you wanted it to be. Right. Because there's no way in the world that you were going to please everyone. So no. you had to just do it the way that you felt was right. And uh, I think that maybe it would have been the, to the benefit of everyone involved if they would have taken just a little bit more time to work on it. Mm. Because I think that there was some holes in the logic that felt a little like we got to get this thing out to market pretty quickly. It's like we're writing both of the Avengers films at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And we're shooting them at the same time. So therefore we have to uh, know what's going on, you know, three before the first movie even comes out, we have to have the second one written. So yeah. if there's some sort of weird reaction to something on the first, you're kind of fucked. That's all we got. Like, so. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it's uh, not not to jump to it, and I'm, we'll go back to it, but just Game of Thrones. The whole season was done before the first one debuted. Yeah. So you already knew, they already knew that they were kind of fucked from episode one. Yeah. Like, uh-oh, um, we've gone off the rails here a bit. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, let's play this bitch out. Uh, that's the only option you have. And Endgame was the culmination of 
10 years of movies. And what I, uh, the other thing I kept trying to tell people is really infinity war and Endgame were one very long movie. Yeah. This was a five hour long movie. What you just saw in Endgame was the mid second act to the end of the movie of a five hour long movie. That's it. Yeah. So yes, it felt like a little weird, but that's because the second act twist was. Yeah. And then it's like, how are they going to get out of this one? Right, right. Okay, great. Well, yeah, that's it. It's a great ending for a movie, but really, if you think about the way the story would be structured, that's the second act twist. Yeah. We thought we had them. We did everything we could. And you're right there. You almost got it. Nope. Done. Yeah. So how are we going to come back from like, that's how you build for those of you who aren't writers. That's how you build the mystique is that they get to the point where you feel like the story could end here, but for this thing. And now we have to recover from that and build back out toward the conclusion. I would, I, I would say this. I, I, and I felt this way kind of about John wick too. Uh, John wick three, you mean John wick three, which I'm John not going, Michael's which I'm not going to ruin right now, but to you should say, go see it. Yeah, to go see it. Go see I mean, there's not really anything to ruin per se, but I mean, like, uh, let me. <laughs> Spoiler alert: John shoots a bunch of people. I don't <laughs> know if that was going to be news to you. A lot of people die. <laughs> there's no. a body count, and it's real high. Uh, the uh, the uh, at the at the end of uh, John Wick, uh, they kind of like end the movie suddenly because you know the next John Wick chapter four is going to pick up yeah. right where chapter three left off, much like chapter two ended, and we left we picked up right from that point. The, literally the same shot. You don't feel like you get the whole story. Like there's not a whole story in chapter three. It's just more as a way to get you from two to four. Well, and see, I, feel I, mean, like, I feel like there was. A I feel story. like no. I mean, in Infinity War, I feel like it was like sort of like this is all the stuff you have to know preparing yourself for Endgame. So if you think about it as like one long five hour movie, right? It it's it, it, like you said, like Act One is just like all these the, setting up the fact that we're going to get to this point in Act Three, right? Um, First half but, of Act Two is uh, now we know who all the characters are and who Thanos is. He's collecting the stones and they're trying to stop him. And yeah. then we think they're going to actually do it, but no. But leaving things kind of open ended like that sort of make it more difficult to like. It, it makes it harder to say you can just watch Infinity War and not never watch Endgame. Here's like, the thing, though: Is Infinity War a movie that could stand on its own? Yes, but it's I, not a happy ending, and it's not one that makes anybody want to watch more Marvel movies. But it's an ending. Yeah, that could be it. That could just be this is the universe we have to live in now. Half I, the people are gone. I mean, I think that in the last twenty years, there's really been a difference between the types of things that we see in movie theaters and okay. the things that we see in television. Yeah, and I think that television could always do this where they give you the cliffhanger right. and like it's the end of the season, you know, is Bartlett running for reelection? You know, this sort of, these sort of things that hang on until the next season. And then and you start at that point, you know, you're canceled and that's it. That's all you get. <laughs> Sorry, Veronica Mars fans. Uh, you'll never find out what happens, but I mean the, the, the movies are now because, you know, sequels are not like laughed at the same way that they used to be. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's harder for like, it, you're going to have to have sort of this cliffhanger moment from time to time in these movies, but I don't think they work as well in movies as they do in television where you have so much time you have to fill, you know, like, I mean, there's 21 Marvel movies. Uh, so this is basically like a long season of television. Very long. (laughs) Yeah. But it it really is not, it's a, it's an ensemble cast thing where you're telling each, each episode is a chapter of everyone's life. And then there are the mid season finale, and the finale, yeah. where everyone comes together 
what was the first one? Fuck. Um, well, I mean, it, technically, it was uh, Captain America: Civil War was the first. No, but then there was wasn't there of, like the Avengers. I thought there was something else. Too. There was an Avengers movie, but I'm saying that happened after Civil War. Civil War. So Civil War happened, and then Avengers. So yeah. maybe like uh, sweeps. And then the mid the midseason finale, and then we had another bit of a sweeps with um God, no, I guess they didn't really come together again until Infinity War, right? I mean there was like people like making you know, like Hulk was in Thor Ragnarok and like Oh yeah, it's like Iron Man was in Spider Man. Right. Yeah. But there wasn't like ever like a moment where it was like guest starring T'Challa. Yeah. yeah. Who is this guy? We didn't even see him in the beginning. We haven't even met him yet. He just comes in in the middle of the, the third the season. Um, anyway, yeah, but, but yeah, the, I think it's good to think about it as one thing: uh, Endgame and Infinity War, one long movie, and this was really one long season of TV where we were building up to these two two points. Um, and I know, uh, you know, I don't. It's weird because I don't feel the same way about Chris Evans as I do about Robert Downey Jr. being out of it. I, I, Chris Evans is, I, I mean, he is Captain America. I, I mean, I see it, I get it, I'm with you, but. I, I it's I could see other people taking that part. Yeah. I don't know that had they casted someone else as Iron Man that we would be here now. Who else do you put in you and know, we're here ten years later? Because if Iron Man flops, by the way, here, here's none where, of this happens. Here's where I stand on Chris Evans. I think uh I think the the default on Robert Downey Jr. is higher. Yeah. But the the really good moments of Chris Evans are better than the okay. really good moments of Robert Downey Jr. Like, and they might be little tiny simple. Like, no, I think you're right. I, I love right. the way when it's uh, uh, when they have, God when Spider Man first makes his appearance in like the MCU, right? The new Spider Man with Tom Holland, and it's when all the Avengers are fighting each other at the airport, right? Yeah, yeah, They're yeah. Running towards each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's uh the one like sort of like constant throwback from the comics of uh, Peter Parker being from Queens and uh, Captain America being from Brooklyn. Yeah. And how like he's holding it over him. And there was just the one line reading where it's just like, uh, you from New York? It's like Queens. And he like looks, and he's like Brooklyn. <laughs> and like, he nails it. He perfectly nails it. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those, like that's, RDJ never nailed a line like that, but that's not as big of a, like it, but to be fair, that's not Robert Downey Jr. On like a day to day was better than Chris Evans. I feel like, but also it's the characters because Tony Stark, Iron Man are not given that kind of like, he is a, but I'm saying like, like like when Chris Evans does the, like, uh, talking to the kids, like, you know, like, Hey, Captain America here, like those types of things were like, he nailed those. So the, uh, uh, he got, he got that character so well. Hey cap, get in. We're going to science. (laughs) It's not the same as Brooklyn. Yeah. And walking away. Right, Right. Those moments are still, yes. But overall, I think I am, I am much sadder about RDJ leaving than I am about Chris Evans leaving. Um, I think that's the only people we are losing. In the I whole mean, universe. Yeah, I mean, we we Natasha lost some. We lost some people in the last run of it that aren't, you know, like, uh, fuck, what's his face? Paul Bettany's character. Oh, uh, yeah, um, not Friday. Uh, the predecessor because he died when when the he pulls the thing out. Soulstone yeah. came out. Yeah. Um, whatever his name is, yeah, yeah, the yeah. robot, the robot who's not real. Um. So we lost him. We lost Natasha. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Evans is gone as, as Captain America, but it seems as though um, Anthony um, Mackie. Anthony Mackie is going to take over as uh, Falcon becomes the new uh, Captain America. Uh, uh, the kid, by the way, 
for those of you who didn't realize, that if you stayed to the end, there was no after credit scene, which was apparently Kevin Feige's way of saying, hey, you were looking forward to the next chapter of this. This is it. Yeah. Now we go on to the next book instead of the next chapter. Right, right, right. But there was a... The sound that you heard at the end, if you didn't recognize it, was the same sound of Robert Downey Jr. in the cave pounding out the first Iron Man suit. The kid, who you didn't recognize from the final scene, is the same kid from 2, Iron Man 2, when he crashes into the garage and he needs to have a kid help him fix the suit. That's the kid. So... I think we're going to learn that that kid's going to become the new Iron Man, and we have young Tom Holland. Like, honestly, they just they kind of put the young people in charge of the franchise. Yeah. Like, Tom Holland and that kid become the new um, uh, Spider-Man and Iron Man, and then uh, Hawkeye's I mean, out because yeah. he's just out because he's done with this whole life, I think. Um, and Anthony Mackie, I guess, is a little younger than, um, than Chris Evans, maybe. <laughs> more, more affordable, for sure. For sure more affordable. <laughs> uh, Don Cheadle's still in it. He'll just be in it forever. That's yeah. fine. I mean, like, you just keep showing up, Don. That's all I really, uh, all I really ask. It's like they just call him. It's just like, hey, you free this summer for a Marvel movie? He's like, yeah, yeah. man, I don't got nothing to do. Uh, by the way, <laughs> best story from the Avengers uh, tour is that Chris and then Ev- the agent, agent calls us. It's like, why'd you accept that? We have plans for this summer. It's just like, whoa, it's Marvel, chill, I mean. chill out, dude. <laughs> uh, best story from the media tour for Avengers uh, Endgame was Don Cheadle, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, all walking through an amusement park, and someone said, oh, my God, you guys are the guys from Marvel. Can I have your pi- can I have a picture with you? And they were like, and Robert Downey Jr. is like, oh, yeah, of course. And then he hands the phone to Don Cheadle and says, can you take our picture? Like, <laughs> no idea who Don Cheadle is. Uh Poor Don Cheadle, who gets no respect. Um, but I mean, it's uh, the shows are going to be about the Scarlet Witch, and yeah. uh, it, it's all the younger people. So, and now X Men gets to come back in because Fox is back in the fold, and uh, Tom Deadpool. Holland will still be. What's that? Deadpool. Deadpool's in. I, I, I don't know. I don't know about the whole Deadpool thing. I don't know if they're going to bring him into. I the would kind of prefer but, the Deadpool to say separate. Yeah, you like, say he doesn't have to be a part of anything. Like the I love. Big. The, did you see Deadpool too? We did. No. Oh, you didn't? I didn't. Okay. So Deadpool 2, there's a moment where- I like, saw on the basis of sex instead that night. Ah. Yeah. Uh, there's a moment where he opens the door and he's like, this, this big mansion and still nobody here. And he opens the door, but we see all of the first class X-Men mm-hmm. in the room. Yeah. And then he closes the door. That's all we see. Like yeah. the whole the whole joke that they're, they're in the universe, but they're not in the movie or whatever. I like that. Like, just keep him there with a couple of the X-Men and, like, have him have his adventures. Cable being involved was great. Yeah. I don't want to see him in the same place as, like, Wolverine and, uh, you know, like, everyone else, really. Like, keep him in his own place. Anyway, we're running really long. I don't want to take just two minutes to talk about Game of Thrones. Uh, Avengers is great. If you haven't seen it, go see it because apparently it's not going to hit the number one movie. Well, it already did, so... Oh, did it? Did I, I saw actually... a news story today that it passed. Okay. Well, so... I guess what? They're confirming this weekend, and then maybe this weekend got it. Yeah, maybe. Good. So go see it. Uh, <laughs> it's an amazing movie, and you should see it. Game of Thrones. Uh, Corey didn't watch it because he doesn't watch Game of Thrones. But um... but I like people to have their fun, and I feel bad that it seems like this, ep- this season has been so uh, hideously horrible for uh, the Game of Thrones people. Yeah. Uh, there is one... Uh... One meme that I think perfectly describes this season, and Brendan and I were talking about it when he was here. Mm-hmm. It's uh, typically used in the description of uh, when you start a test and when you realize there's five minutes left, and it's like a drawing of a horse, and the tail and the back leg are amazing. But then as you move right, it's more of like roughly drawn into yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. a smiley face on the horse. <laughs> 
Well, this meme takes that and divides it up into seasons one through four, season five, season six and seven, and season eight. And that's how I feel about this. Um, the two main writers for Game of Thrones are famously involved in the new Star Wars project. Um, is it Star Wars or Star Trek? I thought you said it no, was Trek. Maybe it's Star Trek. No, I think it's Star Wars. I think they're doing the... Fuck. I can't remember. Damn it, I'm a Trekkie and I should know that. I'll look it up. I know that they have... It's one of the... Both of those franchises have movies coming out. One of which is uh, the the non-Skywalker Star Wars movies are starting um, after nine. And then Star Trek is kind of like rebooting the franchise or they're in the midst of their J.J. Abrams reboot, but J.J. Abrams is producing, not directing anymore. Uh, But they're writing. Those two are writing uh, a new movie and they lost most of their writing staff from season seven to the Game of Thrones prequels that are now going into production. So you have a new writer's room with these guys who honestly just probably are thinking more about what they're doing next, which is still getting there. Still Sorry. Getting there. Um, and it was like, Hey, we have all of these, uh, these things. Um, let's just wrap up these stories as easy as possible. And I, I found a list and it really upset me. And I would really, really just like to, uh, to go, oh, damn it, go through the list of things of like, why did all of these things happen? Why did we have any of these things? Because in the end, it seems as though none of these things actually mattered. Uh, here is the list. Uh, dang it. Maybe I don't have it. Um, I have too many screenshots of too many things. That's the end result of my discussion. But, like, why did Arya do so much training? Like, Again, spoiler alert, uh, again, she killed the Night King, but is that really what all of this was for? Oh, here we go. What was the point of John's resurrection? What was the point of Brienne being a major part of Jamie's storyline? What was the point of Jamie leaving Cersei in the first place? What was the point of Cersei's prophecy? What was the point of John's true identity? What was the point of having Cersei pregnant? What was the point of Danny turning crazy because of Bells? What was the point of the Golden Company? What was the point of hinting at John and Danny's relationship? Like, again, This is a short list of a few things that meant nothing by the time we got to the end. And what was like? Yeah, it's an untitled Star Wars project, by the way. Yeah, it's non Skywalker. And then also, uh, it's still listed as here as something that's on the way as the Confederate uh, thing. Oh, that's right. They're doing the the, uh, alternate history Confederacy. Yeah, like if the Confederacy won or something like that. By the way, HBO. Still have the better script for that. <laughs> if you really just want to ditch that project and, you know, go with somebody who cares about the shit that they write. <laughs> if, you, um, if after the season you're feeling a little bit on the fence about Damon Little off. Like. I, uh, I got something for you. Um, but nonetheless, it, it just the, it, the yes, the my tweet after I watched was, OK, uh, that's a an ending. Mm-hmm. Because they ended the show, they wrapped up the storylines as neatly as I suppose they could. Everyone is kind of in a neat little bow, but uh, it's a lot like you buy everyone gifts and then you just blindly wrap them and hand them out to people at Christmas. Like yeah. I bought Corey this particular gift because I thought about him when I bought it, but I'm just going to wrap it up in random paper and on Christmas morning, hand it to somebody. <laughs> like, and then it goes to Rachel. And Rachel gets it, and you're like, okay, so I get that this is a thing that makes sense in the, in the world, but... No, it's a personalized Orioles jersey for Corey. Yeah. So <laughs> so what you're saying is that uh, that uh, someone snuck up on Danny, realizing that she was about to be a tyrant, and killed her. 
Well, it seems to me you have a character who, I don't know, trained to be a killer who had a prophecy about her that she would kill someone with green eyes and who, without remorse and without fallout, would do that. So let's not use that character. Let's use somebody else. Somebody who we've been building up a love story with this entire time. That makes a lot of sense. Um, And let's build up this prophecy about Cersei and how uh, she is going to die in a certain way. And then completely ignore that. Let me, uh, let me follow this up with, with what I feel I can add to this okay. whole conversation because, again, didn't watch Game of Thrones, so I'm not, I'm not up on all this. You watched a couple episodes. It, the first episode a couple times. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I have to imagine that there's a difference in how this show is constructed just because of how much time George R. R. Martin takes to write these books. Right. And the fact that they've shot how many seasons since like they split Four. from... Four it's seasons. The first four seasons are the books. The last four seasons are not. Right. So they've managed to to get out four seasons of television and the amount of time that it's taken him to not even finish writing the now, most recent book. Like to be fair, we were. Uh, I do say that HBO did what they could. They said he said he has six books in the series. He's written four. I think it's six and four. He's written four, and he uh, there are six. So had at the time that they purchased the rights, he stayed on the same pace of writing. He would have finished before they got the movies. So yeah. it's like a J.K. Rowling, like uh, Harry Potter situation. Right, right, right. Where we start production before the last book's out, but it'll be done way before we get there, the movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then George R. R. Martin has just taken eight years to write the, the last of the or the last couple but of these But I mean, books. like, when, when you're a novelist and there's no reason that you have to have something out in a certain amount of time. Nope. Unless, you know, you need money. Like, that's and why most novelists do. Like, By the they, way, uh, he gets money from the show, even if he yeah. thinks it's shitty. So he's yeah. got his HBO money. Who cares? I, I think that he, I, I don't know him, but I imagine that part of the reason why he probably takes so long is because he's really spending time thinking about all these things so yeah. that he doesn't disappoint people. And from everything I've heard from people who read the books, they're very thorough and they're very well thought out. And it's clear that he just has like a huge whiteboard somewhere in his house where he has all these points just like written up there and he knows what's going on. And it's just not when you're, I mean, you you could just say from continuity standpoint that it's harder to make the television show because Starbucks cups and water, water bottles are ending up in Uh, shots on the show. Yeah. But I mean, like it's, it's, it's really harder to make a television show because you, you have to, shoot things out of order and you don't know when things are going to like how this episode is necessarily going to look in the edit and blah, 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 blah. You know, like I think though it comes down to writing and that's what you and I have, have the ability to look at and say that they just got lazy with the writing this. And I mean, you have, you haven't seen it, but the writing got really lazy this year. Right. But I'm saying like, I think part of the reason why somebody might be able to point at something and say lazy writing is because they're not necessarily thinking about like, Oh, George R. R. Martin could just say, I don't want to write this week. I'm not no. feeling like it. And, they, and there's they no punishment for that. Right. But I mean, if you know, the game if the Game of Thrones writers room was just like, hey, listen, none of us really have it this week. We're gonna delay writing for another week before we start this whole thing, then HBO would be like, Motherfucker, we have to have this thing up in September. See, like, but <laughs> here's here's my so there was one the one thing that was very George R. R. Martin like 
in the series thus far, I think, is Arya showing up to kill the Night King. Mm-hmm. Because what he does is he jumps around between characters, which, by the way, a uh, slight inspiration for me was uh, I didn't read the whole book because I didn't really get into the fantasy aspects. Now that I've seen it, I think I'll get into it a little more, and I'll read all of the books once he finishes. But I also hate getting to a point in the series that I caught up to the author and yeah. being like, give me the next fucking book, man. Like, what are you doing? Um, but they like the, he jumps around so much and then you forget like, Oh, we haven't seen this person in a while. And all of a sudden like, bam, there they are. Yeah. And right when you weren't expecting them, they're in there and they surprise you. Uh, the red wedding's another one where you're like, okay, so there, there's a lot of major characters here. I feel like a uh, piece is coming like something. Nope. We're done. Like everything's, everything's done. Um, and, I think like that is that is good writing, but they said that they knew what was going to happen this season three years ago. Three years ago, they had they had written out the plot of this season and yeah. the seasons before. So don't tell me it's because they didn't have an idea of what they were doing. They knew three years ago, but they got lazy on the details, and then they're like, "Hey, uh, so we got an outline." Um, Let's just shoot the outline. Uh, I feel like we hit the major plot points here. Uh, I know we were going to do 12. Let's just do six instead. Also, we're going to shoot the, the plot. Uh, outline. One other thing, uh, and this isn't complaining about fans because fans are going to be fans. Yeah. But yeah. I think you have to, if you're writing a show like Game of Thrones, much like if, you know, I got hired to write a Star Wars movie or something like that. Don't which, hire him to write well, Star yeah, don't Wars. Don't do He's that never because seen I, Star I Wars. don't know. I don't know what, what would be good about it, but I'm saying like... <laughs> Uh, I asked him about the hero's arc the if, other day. If no somebody, idea. If somebody was hypothetically going to hire me for a Star Wars movie, you know what my first move would be? First of all, watch all the fucking movies. Yeah. Uh, second of all, I would probably spend a lot of time trying to figure out what fans of the show really enjoy and like yeah. what parts of this they, they really want more of and stuff and like try and write something that I think the fans would like. And it seems like this season of Game of Thrones is sort of not doing that. Like yeah. it, it, it was, it, it wasn't taking the fans into consideration and knowing that regardless of how well that, even if this is the most perfect season of television ever, there was going to be 15% of people who are going to complain no matter what, yeah. even if it was 100% perfect. And it, there's no way of, of avoiding that. So you have to just sort of like let the fans be your guide into which way you feel like you should go, especially if you're, going off book from what George R.R. R. Martin started with. Yeah. I do feel like, though, that is an interesting point because I think when they look, when they went into season five and they said, we're out of I books. Would, I would not write a Star Wars movie where it turned out like Luke was gay or something like that. Not like, the fan base. It's not like no. nobody would, nobody would appreciate that I did that. So I would, not, yeah. I would not do it. Like, but I think, I think that you make an interesting point because I think season five, when the first time they were off book that they looked at season four and they said, what do the fans like about this show? And they guessed wrong. And that skewed us off already, starting in five. And we didn't really notice it in five. And even in six, we didn't notice it so much. But by the time we got to late six, early seven, we realized how far we were skewing off from this storyline that he set up. Because my biggest argument about this is this season was out of order. That George has been setting up the fight with the others to be the big thing that happens in his series. And that... This storyline about humans and men fighting about each other and the Game of Thrones itself is sub is subtext to this greater fight that, yeah, you guys are playing this Game of Thrones, but there is this threat coming, uh, which we call the Whites in the show, but he doesn't actually name in the book. And, like, the White Walkers are coming. That's the big threat, and that this game is really needs to be subservient to that. 
what I think the writers did is they said they really like this story about the families fighting amongst each other and power, and it's called Game of Thrones. The Game of Thrones should be the foe. No, dummy. The Game of Thrones is the subtext to say, why are we fighting amongst each I mean, at the end of the episode, they get to it a little bit because they're like, we don't need to be fighting like this anymore. You're right. But I think that the that George would have written it the other way, that there would have been a fight with Cersei, there would have stormed King's Landing. Once half of the of men are dead and they finally have to come to the point where like, let's elect a leader, then they do. Great. Now, because we've been so dumb and fought each other, now we have to turn our depleted forces and go north and go fight the others. Yeah. And this is the lesson that you would have been stronger had you stuck together, but because you fought each other first, now this existential threat's coming and it's gonna finish you off. And I think that is what he would have done. And the message is always about that. The existential threat versus us infighting. And what they said is, that's not what they like. They like this, the families fighting amongst each other. And yeah. like Cersei being like a bitch and like really hating people. And this force from the East coming in and inter- like, no, all of that was leading up to, why were you fighting amongst yourselves? There's this big problem coming. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, to, to put one final sort of point yes. on this, I think that, uh, I I guess what I don't understand is uh it it feels like philosophically the show is different it is than it was before it is and uh this has to happen a lot in all kinds of different shows but it feels like they sort of missed the mark like yeah. uh when you know I brought up the west wing earlier but I'm saying like uh when <laughs> It's it was close to you know Bartlett's going to be out of office, mm-hmm. so we have to find a new president. The last two seasons of The West Wing is more about the people who are running for president than it is about the actual the West, West Wing. Wing. Yeah, um, but that's sort of where they had to go because that's how it would be like in real politics. Like you wouldn't care about you know what Trump's doing in his last eighteen months in office if he was you know in his second term. <laughs> Obama in his last <laughs> his last eighteen months. You didn't care so much about the day-to-day. You yeah. cared more about the election that was coming up. Right. Um, and I think there was something that was missing here about that with the Game of Thrones people where, like, they, they knew the pivot was coming, but they didn't handle the pivot correctly. And I, I – one other thing, and I know this is weird. Like, uh, so, like, the idea of fight or flight, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's some people who are going to run from trouble. There's some people who are going to, like, face it. Yeah. Head, head, head of steam. I think like John Wick is like the fight version of that. You know, right. like yeah. John Wick is the guy who's not going to worry about it. He's going to run in there, guns a blazing and shoot everybody. And even people who are naturally within themselves, a flight over fight kind of person could watch it and identify with being John Wick and being talented enough to be the fighter yeah. and go like, yeah, if I was like him, I would be if that. I had that talent to shoot, I would be just like him mowing, yeah. mowing people down throughout every room. And I think that there's sort of that thing that's going on with Game of Thrones fans too, where they're just like, well, I'm, I wouldn't kill my sister. But, yeah. But like, if I was Jon Snow, you know, like whatever, I obviously throwing out random characters and I don't know what they tie together, but like, you know, like if I was him, then I definitely would because I'd be in this situation. And it seems like, from what I'm hearing from people in the last couple of seasons, there wasn't any, like I can see how I would put myself in the position of a certain yeah. character. Like the, the character on its base has sort of changed so much that they're not the same person. Like, and that's, hard. it's not like me visualizing myself as the killer that John wick is in this particular situation of the movie. Right. 
And there are moments. Know? There are moments of that. There are moments of that with John, especially. But other characters, I think we lost it. But I, I think your West Wing point is the most important one. When Sorkin leaves, the tone of the show changes. Yeah. Uh, and I have compared this season of Game of Thrones to Lost and uh, Dexter, both of which had big, <laughs> big turnover in their writers' room for their last season or two, and. My argument for why the writers have checked out is exactly that. When Sorkin left, when the writers for Lost left, and when the writers for Dexter left, and they had to kind of change the rooms over, those people who came in had no idea how to capture the tone of the people before. Yeah. And these are the same two lead writers, which just tells me I don't feel like they were in the room. Well, I mean, like in the later West Wing, too, like post Sorkin West Wing. Yeah. Like, you could see people were trying to write like Sorkin. Exactly right. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things like you would hear it and you'd be like, oh, it sounds familiar, but it doesn't sound as pithy. And like there, there's a there's a reason why you can tell why Aaron Sorkin gets all the money and people who write like Aaron Sorkin don't necessarily get right. the same amount of money. Because you juxtapose that to Breaking Bad, where yeah. Vince Gilligan had three or four shows on the air by the end of Breaking Bad, Mm -hmm. and he was running around to room after room after room, but Breaking Bad was good until the last drop, and the last line was just as good as his first episode, but he was working on Better Call Saul, which had a different feel than Breaking Bad, and both of them kept their different feels while he was working on two different projects, and his producing on two other things, where I think he he wasn't actually uh, running the rooms, he was just producing them, but he was involved, they all felt different, and that's the difference between the writers here and Vince Gilligan running Breaking Bad and Breaking Call Saul, or Better Call Saul, just being able to say, I can do all of this, and I can keep the tone the same. Is everything. Yeah. And Sorkin did it. And when he left, we saw it. And these guys are still there. They're the middle ground. Vince Gilligan stays in and it sounds the same all the way to the end. Sorkin leaves. It changes. These guys stayed. But because they had checked out, I think, it changed. Mm. So it's unfortunate. Uh, I know there's a petition to redo season eight. By the way, that's not going to happen. I think we're much more likely to see like a. I, I think we're more likely to see the George R. R. Martin remix of the seasons that would come following season four. Yeah. Um, probably with new people, though. Yeah, no, like, it's going to be years to, in the future. They wouldn't be able to afford Amelia Clark like now. 10 years from now when yeah. they eventually go to shoot it. But when like, he finishes the books, I think we're going to have... It'll just be like one of those things, like, you you go like, oh, so Mark Ruffalo's Hulk now. Yeah. No, okay. <laughs> but All I mean, right, honestly, sure. there will be, there will be... Oh, Jon Snow's Brandon Frazier now. All right. If if they are smart, when he finish, let him finish all of them first. Let him <laughs> yeah. finish all of them. And when they're done, then come back in and, like, pick up book, uh, I think it's book five or book six, whatever it is, and do an intro episode where it's like, hey, there's a really short guy. This is Tyrion. Yeah. And hey, blonde girl, she has dragons. This is a Daenerys. And like, we'll do like an awkward reintroducing everyone because yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. will be too old. And then let's go on with the story and tell what George R. R. Martin, because I can't imagine it is any worse than the first four. He's putting so much time and effort in. It's going to be good. Yeah. And we'll just have an alternate ending, basically. It'll be like, here are the two. It starts in the same four and then skews off. And one is the TV only and the other one's George R. R. Martin. So. Uh, Sorry, I, I swear to God, this is my last point, and then we'll go. Uh, the The baseline of everyone is they don't want to write. Yeah, professional writers do not want to write most of the time. That's we we force ourselves to sit in front of the keyboard and just do it. Not like, professional writers do not want to write. We hate yeah, yeah. the fact that we want to write. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I 
I feel bad about picking on other people who are not only forcing themselves to write because they have to get something done in time, but also like knowing that every single one of their decisions is going to be destroyed by the internet on oh, a yeah. day on a weekly basis. That's a very hard position to find yourself in. And it doesn't, it, how many people out there, you know, show of hands would want to be game seven of the world series, bottom of the ninth, two outs, runner on second, Full count. Here's the pitch. Like John Whitwood. <laughs> John Whitwood. 99.99% of people do not want to be that person. No. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you're putting these people in the position where they are going to be that person and they're not up for it. And it's not their fault because most people aren't up for it. Well, so. I mean, I think the difference, though, is if I was in season seven of uh, Uprising, seven, season yeah. seven of Uprising, and it's like, hey, so we could either move on to Seattle or we could just kind of like wrap it up right here and yeah. like just call it. Um, but like, I, I feel like I wouldn't be thinking about like, okay, so I got this other show that's coming up and I got it. And we got to strike while the iron's hot because if you're out of this town for four months, you might as well be out for a lifetime. So I'm going to, I got to Because that's my baby. I got to make it the best thing yeah. that I pop. And I think maybe that's the Vince Gilligan in me. That's like, I got to make this thing. Even if I don't work again, this is going to be my swan song. And I got to make it that. And you know what? These, I mean, these guys, they don't give a fuck what we think. Honestly, like they're driving their season six Maserati to their season seven house. And eventually they're going to take a little break to their season eight beach house, uh, in the Maldives. And <laughs> now, and they got their, their star Wars jet. That's going to fly them there. And they're, uh, Confederacy uh, fucking beach towels or whatever yeah, yeah, little yeah. bit of money they got and bullshit. <laughs> it's probably not going to come out. Like, they don't care. I will care. And I, you're right that, may, I mean, far be it from us to be in that position, but God help me, I wish I could ever be in that position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing is, I will let people, dear universe, <laughs> I will let people tear me apart on Twitter if you just get me a syndicated show, please. <laughs> Just give me a hundred episodes of something. Just a hundred. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a hundred now. Just twenty-five episodes of something, or just enough for make Netflix interested. Just get me on premium cable somewhere, <laughs> some kind of premium service, and I'll let them tear me. I'll engage them so that I make it worse. Yeah, please. All right. Well, uh, in the meantime, you know who gets ripped on. You know who gets ripped on Twitter even without the fame. Who's that? Oh, the anthem.com, Gordon. The anthem.com with the anthem on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the listener line 443-219-7595. What's that number again? 443-219-7595. And you can find more of me at my website, CoreyBakerFilmmaker.com. Uh, I just finished the John Wick 3 review. Uh, it is waiting for me to cross the uh, T's and dot the I's. Uh, and that will be up later tonight. But, you know, for all fact, intents and purposes, tomorrow would probably be the time you'd be watching it. Uh, What's up next? I want to see uh, A Dog's Journey this week. So maybe Wednesday I'm going to yeah, go date night with, the, with no, Rachel and yeah, go see it. I was going to say, you can see that yourself. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not in for that one. Uh, but maybe I'll do that one Thursday. We'll, we'll sort of see how it goes. I got I to gotta be on set Tuesday and Thursday. So Ah, okay. It's uh, weighing on my ability to handle that. For sure by Thursday, but we'll see what happens. Life getting in the way I of know. the projects. Uh, well, of course, you can find more of me at Robert and Cheek on all your social networks. Make sure you check out robertandcheek.com, where you can find links to my political blog, news website, and the books, which are available on Amazon. Buy those books. Especially the books, because the books are the only thing up and running on the website. So <laughs> go and check that out. But thank you. Uh, anyway. Well, I think we've done good here tonight. <laughs> 
We've done something. Uh, we've spoiled Avengers. <laughs> we've spoiled Game of Thrones. We've spoiled abortion advocates. We've spoiled billionaires. We've spoiled. Uh, good Lord. Yeah. Uh, we've done something. I don't know if it's good. But as always, you're listening to the O the Anthem podcast, part of the O the Anthem digital network. For Corey, this is Rob. Have a great week, everybody. All right. Now I got to go take a Game of Thrones season eight. I mean, a piss. Oh. <laughs> Ooh.